0: Welcome to the First Ever Podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Baum. Hi. How are you? It's episode 53. And uh, if you're new here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. My guest is the ever-talented, ever-awesome Chris Isfondiari of King Woman, of Miserable, of nightcrawler of sugar high of dalmatian Uh, obviously a very busy musician very talented and had the pleasure of hanging out having a great conversation um so yeah you're gonna get a chance to listen to that in just a moment let's uh let's let's do business real quick um i have a patreon Um, I, you know, I'm, I, I record a lot of these intros or outros and then I realize like, oh, I didn't push the Patreon. Um, if you're enjoying the show and you would like to help support it, um, I would, you know, I would appreciate it. Uh, hit up patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. And over there you can, you know, ask questions to upcoming guests as like today, subscribers have the opportunity to listen to the bonus episode that goes along with this conversation with Chris where uh, you'll hear her answer the questions that were submitted from uh, subscribers. Pretty cool, right? Um, And also, you know, I do these radio episodes. You'll get an extra two of those a month. Plus, there's just a whole lot of other kind of content. There's a Discord channel where we all hang out at, do some live Q&As. I'll be going on tour soon, so there'll be like tour journals, all sorts of stuff. If that interests you, once again, hit up the Patreon. Moving on. Let's talk about some of my wonderful, wonderful sponsors. Where's my coffee drinkers at? It's probably all of us. I certainly know I cannot go a day or a morning without at least two cups. So let's shout out to Rootless Coffee Company. They're a small batch roaster out of Flint, Michigan, making high-end coffee with bags designed by some of the comic industry's rising stars, collaborating with bands, artists, brands, Nonprofits, wrestlers, comedians and more. Rootless is the punk rock gateway to craft coffee. Easy to understand and delicious roast options. Listeners get 20% off their order using the code hard times at checkout when they visit rootlesscoffee.com. Any size, any grind, any time, break free from boring. You know, I've been doing this show for over a year now, and it took a really long time for me to get any sponsorship, and uh, thank you to Hard Times for that. Um, And I just said thank you to Hard Times as if they were responsible for me not getting sponsorship. It's the other way around. Anyway, uh, so when the opportunity arose, I was like, oh my God, am I going to be able to do the whole ad read thing? I I just don't know if I have it in me. I'm already so self-conscious about so many things with myself. Am I going to be able to pull that off? And uh, every week I feel a little more confident. Um, It could just be in my head. I don't know. But here we go again. Discovered Magazine. Discovered is an international print counterculture magazine encompassing the best of music, art, skateboarding, and anything with a punk ethos. You can get 10% off a yearly subscription using the code FIRSTEVER. You're going to want to spell that out. When you hit up store.dscvrd.co. I love Discovered Magazine. They're really wonderful. They uh, have a lot of care and consideration. See, this isn't even in what I'm supposed to read. I'm just saying this because I really appreciate them. Um, Georgia over there is, uh, is very awesome and always is so supportive of the show. So I want to be as supportive as possible uh, to Discovered. So please check out that magazine. They cover bands and, and everyone um, f- with far more care and consideration than uh, a lot of other places. So shout out to Discovered. All right, let's hear my conversation with Chris Isfandiari. I'm a big King Woman fan. That new record is incredible. So before this actually gets there, just if you have not listened to the new King Woman record, jump on it quick. All right. Here we go. Cool. Well, Chris, thanks for thanks for hanging out with me today. Yeah. How uh you just so you just got back into town when? What day?
1: Uh I got fuck, what day was it? Uh maybe this i think it was like the sixth Uh, okay yeah i was in la i played uh two record release shows at the lodge room for king
0: woman had you played the lodge room before it's it's yeah i like it did did you like it it.
1: i loved it the staff was amazing um everybody was so cool i really liked that i would definitely i would definitely play there again it was a really great experience the sound was great everything was great
0: yeah. Awesome. Did you did you go through a lot of rehearsals cuz I mean as you know you and I were just talking for a sec before we started the interview like this is these were your first shows back like how much prep did you go did you have going into it?
1: <sighs> I mean, I've been running around. Um I was working on um a movie with some friends and so I was working like all day for like a week straight doing that and then I flew out to the Bay Area to start rehearsing with my band. We were doing like two to three times a week. Um, We haven't played in over two years. And then we had on top of that, we had two new members. So we had to teach them everything. So it was pretty intense. We had a few weeks to rehearse. um, But I feel like we we had it down by the end of the uh, my time in San Francisco. And then we just drove to LA and played two shows. I think, you know, everybody was kind of like, little bit anxious because yeah it's just we didn't really know what to expect i i mean i didn't even know if people were going to come to the shows i was kind of uneasy about doing two shows in a row i was like what if people don't show up because of covid like what if the shows get shut down again but people were so excited to be there
0: oh i I love that Mm -hmm. did uh because you've lived in new york city for how long now
1: um i've been here off and on how many years i don't know i guess it's been like Seven years, maybe? Maybe longer? I've been on and off. I lived in L.A. for a while as well. I kind of went to L.A. for a minute and then came back to New York. So, um, I don't know. I I travel a lot and move around a lot, but I'm, yeah, I'm definitely here.
0: (laughs) Are most of your, I know you have a lot of projects, but is Miserable and King Woman both Bay Area, though? Um, Miserable
1: is L.A. My bandmates are in L.A. Um, And uh, King Woman band members are in the bay area
0: okay yeah so it's a lot of traveling it's a lot of traveling yeah (laughs) Yeah. do you prefer do you like that though like where you kind of have like it's almost like you have a a region for a musical personality almost
1: yeah yeah i i I definitely like i get very restless i don't i don't do well staying in one place for too long but i feel like as i get older i'm growing to appreciate routine more and i actually like no i don't want to leave i want to stay in one place for a while like I feel like it's really good for my nervous system to just chill and have a routine, um, but unfortunately, I, and fortunately, I I travel a lot.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. now I feel it. Yeah. Where are you? Actually, where are you from originally? Like, where where were you raised?
1: Well, I was born in the in the Bay Area, and then okay. my my dad moved us around a lot. But I was in Sacramento for a while. And then uh, I moved to the Bay. So I considered the Bay Bay and Sacramento to be like my hometowns. But mainly I consider Oakland to be like my hometown. And then from there, I lived in San Francisco for a long time. Not a huge fan of living there. Uh, And then I moved to New York. So I was like, I need to get out of this small city. Like, I feel like everybody should try living in New York at least once if they can. Uh, So then I moved to New York. And that was like a total shock for me. And then I went to L.A. and then I was like, this is cool, but I'm going to go back to New York now. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah, I get very, yeah. I like to move around and and experience new cities and meet new people,
0: you know. Had you traveled to New York City a lot before you actually moved there?
1: Not really. I I had been there once when I was pretty young. And then I played, the reason I actually ended up moving was because I, I was not very happy in Oakland. Like everything was going really well for King Woman out there, but it became like big fish small pond vibes where just like everybody knew me and it kind of made me uncomfortable and i was like i don't want i want to be challenged i don't want people to even know who i am i want to be somewhere big where i'm like i have to reinvent myself and grow and do something new so i just felt like i was growing to be very stagnant and when i went to new york city i played a few shows and i played at vitus Um, At one of the shows. And I remember being at the merch table and I was just talking to everybody, and every single person, there was like a line of people, and every person that came up to the merch table was like, You should move to New York. You should move to New York. You should move to New York. And I was like, Okay, (laughs) I think I'm going to move to New York. Like, because I was already kind of like over it and feeling like uninspired and like I was lacking challenge. I wasn't challenged where I was. And I was like, Fuck it, I'm going to do something totally scary and I'm going to move to New York. So I just booked a tour for Miserable from the bay area to new york city and my last show is the day i just stayed there i like packed up all my shit and like just i played a show there and then i was like okay i live here now
0: did and you move to did you like move to brooklyn or yeah, where did you move i moved to yeah.
1: brooklyn in this like um artist's apartment complex uh called the grove i got really lucky and found a really cheap place there and met a bunch of really interesting characters and you know moving to New York was very challenging for me and I didn't know that relocation depression was a real thing. So I just got there and I, I mean, I was, it was pretty brave of me because my whole, all my community is on the West coast and I only had a few, few friends in New York city. My saving grace being in like my first few years, few years in New York city was David Castillo from St. Vitus. He like was such a big brother to me and like took me under his wing and Every time I was sad, he would like it's like he would know and he would call me and be like, "What are you doing? Let's go out to lunch." Aww. And he always he always had my back when I was having a hard time, so shout out oh, to David. Oh, that's really nice. Yeah. <laughs> where are you from? I'm am f- from
0: LA, oh, like born and ra- yeah, born and raised here, but New York City to me has always been like it's like my it's my favorite place in the world, right? But yeah. I've never i've never lived it's always been like oh one day in my life like i'll I'll live there but like as you get older things like that become less and less possible just because it's like i have so much roots here and like whatever else but like i kind of like keeping it this romantic place that when i go there i'm just filled with all these emotions and i can really explore and enjoy it and Mm -hmm. feel like i'm you know i'm in this paradise for just a couple days and then i'll get to see it again eventually but um when I think about actually moving there, though, then I start thinking about all the hardships, and and one of those things is like something as stupid as it seems really difficult to go grocery shopping in New-,
1: in New York City. It's really not. It's so chill. I mean, depends on where you're located, but there's a. I just use this um, app called Instacart, so you can just order groceries online, they bring them to your door. I know that's kind of bougie, but my friend Nick was like, "You got to get you got to get Instacart. It's so much easier." And I, I don't no. know. Being in New York City is kind of nice. I think it's kind of nice to have your own little grocery bag and like go to the store and then just like walk home if you can. I guess it depends on your location, but Totally. In New York, what what places are like where do you like to go when you're here that makes you feel like you really like it
0: here? Honestly, like I know it's it's funny also when you have so many friends that are like, oh, I don't go to Manhattan. Like I just I stay in Manhattan. Brooklyn. I, I like I love walking around Manhattan. Manhattan's like it's just I mean, between growing up watching—I mean, as silly as it sounds—like literally loving the Ghostbusters movies as a kid. Like, I think that's what made me like love New York City, yeah. and then I don't know all of that stuff. Like, I just have so much, such a love for the place. It just feels so magical to yeah. me. Like, and also Home Alone. Like, <laughs> between between Home Alone two and the Ghostbusters, like. I don't know. I, I, I think that's what really started my love for the place. So I'm envious of you for being able to to actually have made the move. Like yeah. <laughs> it's, like you said, it's very brave. Yeah, it's it's very, extremely brave. It
1: can be very depressing here, I won't lie. Like, it's, yeah. I have friends here, but it's there's something about it that can feel very depressing at times and very, very mm-hmm. lonely. Kind of this loneliness that I don't really feel when I'm in L.A. Um, so every time I come back, I really have to work towards like, not putting, not letting that heaviness get the best of me and, like, making sure I kind of leave the city every once in a while because it can get very heavy to be here. It's just the energy yeah. here is kind of crazy. Sure. <clears throat>
0: um, talk to me about, those, uh before we get into all the first experiences stuff, talk to me about actually performing, though, like, in L.A. Like, what was... What was it like to just kind of get back up on stage, hold a microphone, did it feel different than it had in the past because of the time we've had away from it or like was there so much expectation kind of built on it? How, just yeah, describe what it was like for you.
1: Well, I feel like I don't really get like when I first started doing music, music, I was extremely shy. I don't even know how mm. I got to where I am now because I was I think I was the shyest person on planet Earth. Like I don't even know I just, I really felt this strong desire to do music and I felt like I was going to die if I didn't do it. But I was, I had this barrier where I was so shy and just deathly shy. So I just, going from that to the way that I am now where I'm just like on my phone and someone's like, okay, you got to get on stage now. And I'm like, oh, okay. And when I first started playing shows, I would like puke and stuff. I would get, I would shake and I like, it was like the fear was leaving my body. But, you know, I wasn't so much anxious about perform like people like oh no I, I'm playing live it was just like whoa like the shock of being around people again kind of feeling a little agoraphobic like I've been shut away by myself you know so it, it was just that just being unsure of what to expect from the crowd as well but I usually stand out in the crowd when I perform so I just made a big circle in the crowd and had everybody kind of stand away from me and um i just performed in the center of the crowd but then a lot of i got a bunch of emails where people were really angry that i did that they're like we couldn't see you and i'm like so i was like okay so the the next night i stood on the stage for most of the show but some parts i got off the stage i just wanted to be with everybody because yeah i felt like we we all went through it and we all could use some love and connection and um I just I prefer being on the floor with everybody because it just feels weird being like separated from everybody I kind of feed off their energy and like we feed off each other and we're all singing and moving together so it never really made sense to me to like be above them on a stage yeah Uh, but you know, I understand like some people are a little bit shorter. I got some very angry Dms and emails about me being on the floor But most people know that that's how I that's how I prefer to perform So now I think i'm gonna try to do a little bit of both because like people were very upset and I have to consider You know that you know, they want came to see me live Um, it does feel like a little bit more pressure on me because Of the record being out and just like the response to the record. I was like, okay, I gotta Step it up. You know what I mean? I haven't played in over two years and it's, it, that, that aspect has been a little bit overwhelming, I guess, um, but everybody was so sweet and excited to be there. I, I think it went really well. I think both of them went really well. It was, it was really cool. Everybody was, there was one guy that was like on the second night, he was just like yelling shit at me from the front. And he's like, I was singing one of the like slower songs and he just yells at me. Who hurt you, babe? Who hurt you? (laughs) I was like, I was trying so hard not to laugh at one point. Jesus (laughs) Christ. Some girl made me earrings and she like threw them on stage and I put them on. Um oh that's And daring. then we did an we did an encore. <laughs> we did an encore and came back out to do the Stone Roses cover so I had them on when when I was okay. singing the song and she was so happy about that. But I just love getting gifts from people and like letters. Yeah. People gave me letters and oh, it just means so much to me that anybody would take time out of their day to write to me or make something for me, you know? I'm always amazed yeah. by that.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's sweet. Uh, When you were growing up, um, what was your what was like the first thing that you connected with musically that like felt like it was yours?
1: Man, I have pretty I have very poor memory. But um, from what I can remember, well, first of all, I wasn't really allowed to listen to secular music or music that wasn't Christian. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it was just a lot of weird Christian music in my house that I did not like and was for kind of that's all i had and obviously i had a love for music so i knew all the songs um there was one guy that my mom used to listen to his name was Ron Cannoli, and he had this like group super group of people and they did gospel music and it, the songs were very well written and i i liked that but as far as something i really truly connected with my dad would listen to records and that was like my only way my only um portal into like secular music and classic rock he listened to a lot of classic rock and he also listened to like a lot of iranian disco cassettes so i guess the first thing i i probably connected with was um neil young um harvest was like a big one for me when yeah. i heard that i was like whoa because you know i started some of the first um like the first style of music i started writing with the guitar was folk music and country music so i just loved neil young i loved his songwriting everything he did was like a bit, every song was a hit like every song he i heard from him i was like this is incredible um and then another one was led zeppelin i was obsessed with led zeppelin i loved robert plant's voice i was like his voice is so weird and yeah. i love the songwriting and i loved i loved jimmy page and he was like one of my first crushes um <laughs> But yeah, just like some, I guess it was classic rock. But then, you know, when I started sneaking um, over to Best Buy with like my friends and buying CDs. Uh, I was actually talking with someone about this the other day. Like, I went to a Best Buy with one of my friends, and I didn't know what was what musically. I didn't know what was cool, so I was just looking at album covers Of course. um, on the CDs, and I was like, well, that looks cool. So I got Deja Intendu by Brand New, which is a fucking classic, and I still love that record, which it was a big record for me. So I got that. I got Elliott Smith's XO. I got um, Good Morning by Alkaline Trio. It's my favorite Alkaline
0: Trio record. yeah yeah yeah, same and then
1: i got um that one record by elliot uh i don't remember what it i think it might be self-titled um yeah so i just took those home and i had a little disc man and i would just hide in the garage and listen to those records and i was my mind was just like fully blown i think i got also got like reggie in the full effect or something like that (sighs) um And then I was just like, oh, I got. I think I had minus the bear at some one point. And I listened, used to listen to KDVS radio, a KDVS radio station. And I would sit in the garage and write all the songs I heard down after they would like say what was what. So I found Postal Postal Service through that. I found Gang of Four, which really blew my mind. I was like, this is so sick. Yeah. Um, what else? There's There was so much music I found through that radio station. Like, so much weird indie shit. And from there, I started learning. I met new people, and I learned about, like, hardcore music. And I got really into, like, Poison the Well and, like, Taking Back Sunday and all that, you know, and a bunch of Screamo yeah. shit, like Hot Cross and... Sasha and shit like that yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah. wow you really went down the whole that's like yeah as you were describing that it was like that's the exact path that a lot of people find you know it's like you yeah you start with like kind of pop punky stuff and then eventually you end up you know which whether whatever direction you go you might end up finding the satias and the hot crosses and stuff like that
1: totally and when i was really young um i was really really obsessed with busta rhymes and um outcast (laughs) and dmx but I, my friends would always listen to them so like when we would be at school we would listen to that's what we would listen to or like when we'd hang out after school that's what we would listen to when i first found dmx i was blown away by him i was like this is the craziest shit i ever heard someone gave me his record his like cd and it was so dark. Like, I remember being super young and listening to it, and it definitely made me feel some type of way, but I couldn't stop listening to it. And just the album cover where he was just, like, there was flesh with my flesh. Like, yeah. he's just covered in blood. I was like, whoa. I feel like that's a huge, like, he's a total, like, a huge inspiration for some of my rap stuff that I do, his voice and, like, cadence. I And just, like, the creative direction. I was so just intrigued by him. I was like, this is so sick.
0: Did you, because you have such a background with, like, you know a a religion being put on you like like pretty intensely did you ever feel like at that age were you excited about rebelling against it and finding this music or was it did you ever feel like the you know what we all what a lot of us have because i was also raised raised in a a religious household where it's like there's that sort of christian guilt about it where you're listening to it being like
1: that's why it's so cool it's like that tension makes it so yeah i mean i that was my that was my escape like i was so angry um, and I didn't even realize how angry I was at that age. You know, I was so repressed and so angry, and I just like didn't. I mean, I there's a lot I just can't talk about on, on like in sure. interviews for what things that happened in my when ch- my childhood. But it was fucked up, and these songs were my like escape and my release in a lot of ways. And I I didn't know how to express myself, but they these songs expressed things for me beyond what i could was capable of at the time you know
0: did you kind of a light question did you have like a uh <laughs> did you have like a routine to make sure that you like wouldn't get caught listening to whatever you're listening to because I, I in the in the, sh- in the past episodes i talked about like for me i would have my boom box in front of me with my headphones plugged in but i would put out a cassette of something that was like I'm allowed to listen Christian. to. So, so my mom would think that that's what I'm listening to. But like what I'm actually listening to is like hidden under the bed. Like you, know? you
1: had like a Newsboys record on top or something <laughs> like,
0: like a Christian record. Um, yeah, I actually got caught
1: one time. She didn't catch my actual stash, but I had this cassette. This is so funny i am like just remembering this yeah there was this place called claire's where you could get jewelry and like get your ears ears pierced yeah yeah yeah. totally and they used to have these these cassettes of mixes of modern songs on the radio but like sang really poorly by random ass singers so there was one i had of like a mix and it had like frozen by madonna and it had like um that marcy playground song and i remember my mom found it and it was like on it was like singing like the sex and candy part and she like broke it and i got in big trouble but i wasn't i didn't have much privacy growing up so that that kind of did me in not having any privacy um and like i couldn't even keep a journal so i would i made my own like code writing and i had a little I made my own little code, like, um, form of, like, my own language, basically. And I would write in a journal because I had no, like, zero privacy. Um, And, yeah, so I'm still a little bit weird about keeping journals because of that. Like, I'm very paranoid about, like, having anything private, like writing in journals or anything like that still have trauma from that but yeah she found that cassette and that was uh (laughs) so so much trouble i got in so much trouble from that cassette yeah it wasn't even good it wasn't even like the real songs it sounded so shitty i'm gonna try to find it and send it to you because it's so funny
0: oh my god that's that's interesting that it was like a comp of some random asshole singing singing madonna and marcy playground
1: it was so bad I, i but i was like I loved those songs, and I would just hear them occasionally on the radio, and I was like, oh, I knew it wasn't the actual song, but I was like, at least I get to hear something similar to the song, you know?
0: Yeah. I would. Yeah. I
1: was desperate. I would take whatever I could
0: get musically. Um, You mentioned, uh, like, playing guitar and doing, like, and, um, the, like, making kind of, like, full country stuff. At what point did that start? Like, when did you start playing guitar?
1: You know, it was pretty strange. One of the reasons that I do feel that music is my calling, I, I feel like the world kind of faded music to me like when i was around 16 my parents got me a guitar which was pretty random um i was i was kind of forced to start singing at church and then i be- somehow became like a worship leader and i was very bad at it um, <laughs> and very shy like i was i did not want to do it um they bought me like a random ass like ibanez guitar from like a sam's club or something and then
0: like an electric uh, guitar
1: It was an acoustic, it was a very shitty guitar. I guess when I think of
0: Ibanez, I I rarely think of an... Like, I can't imagine an Ibanez acoustic, but that's just because I don't
1: play guitar as a main
0: instrument, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was not a... It wasn't the best guitar, but I had that. And then my friend Ashley bought me, like, a banjo and a guitar, and she's like, you need to do music. And then another one of my friends bought me a guitar. It was like everyone was giving me instruments, and it felt like a sign from the world to do music, so... I got a hold of a like a like an old like it was a old Mac or something. Or at the time, I guess they were kind of up and coming because this was so fucking long ago. Yeah. But uh, I just pressed record in GarageBand. I didn't really know how to use it that well, and I just picked up the guitar and wrote a song within a few minutes. And I was pretty good immediately at writing songs. I didn't even really know what I was doing, but and I was like whoa, and I could just kind of naturally play, and I just started making shit up and writing stuff and then i became addicted to it from there i was like this is so cool just recording and learning how to layer things i was like whoa this is so fun yeah. so from there i started writing songs it was a slow progression for me because i didn't fully realize what was going on at the time you know so it was kind of like a stop and go and did, i don't really think i showed many people anything that i was working
0: on did you uh, were you like given lessons or anything uh, like that
1: i tried to take guitar lessons but the dude who gave me lessons he he had this very weird voice and i could never understand what he was saying like he had this weird nasally voice and his words would all just kind of come together mumble and like i could never understand him at all it was like i don't know if he did too much acid or something he was just fried and he would try to make me learn like elvis and then i would bring in like a tab for like a modest mouse song like dramamine or something and I would play it and he would be like, OK, but let's learn some Elvis and Led Zeppelin, which was like super complex shit. And I, I just kind of yeah. was like, I don't think I don't think I'm the kind of person that likes to learn from other people. I think I need to learn things for myself. So I quickly stopped doing lessons. They just weren't for me. So I did just you got get, a, like did you get like the basics? Yeah, I from, bought a book. From for, mm, no, I bought yeah. a book that taught me chords. Oh, okay. And um, I think I had heard like an interview with Connor Oberst or something talking about like. <laughs> chords and how easy it is to write a song and like i was like yeah that's true so i just bought a little book and learned how to play chords on a piano and on a guitar and i was like oh i can just teach myself you don't need to know that much to write a song and then from there i just kind of started making sounds on a guitar i was like you just have to make it sound good basically that was my
0: theory behind music i remember uh with connor Oberst specifically like being such a bright eyes fan um you know, uh, pretty early on. And I I remember with trying to learn some of his songs where you're just like, wow, like literally he has like six different songs that are the same three chords in a row. It's just, he strums them in a different pattern and you're like, but they sound totally different. That kind of, I remember that opened my eyes a little bit to being like, wow, you can, you can really get away with using a lot of the same stuff as long as it's just, you know, altered just a little bit, you know? Totally. Exactly. I wanted to ask, uh, what was, what was like the first, what was like the first band that you did then? Like, did you, did you oh, ever God. try to start your own thing or, or was the first band that you did uh, when you joined WUR?
1: Um yes, I well I had a solo project. I'm not even going to tell you what it's called cuz I don't want anyone to look it up, but um
0: that's kind of a, it's a, th- that always kind of gets <laughs> said by by people being, being like, "I don't want someone to end up finding it." And no, like, wow.
1: "Absolutely not." Someone actually messaged me the other day and was like, "Hey, didn't you used to have this project?" And I was like, "Delete, <laughs> not responding." Um but yeah, I did this like solo kind of folky thing. I just like picked the guitar. It was kind of like Leonard Cohen sounding guitar. Um and I would just like do very these. like
0: flamenco sort yeah, of yeah that's yeah that's
1: kind of how I liked to play because I was a little bit bored with how people typically strum the guitar so I was really into join and newsome and I was like, what if I play the guitar how she plays the harp so I would just do mm. these kind of like trans like strumming patterns and um i w- I was really very into storytelling so I'd tell these elaborate stories in my songs and that was the first project i started and i i'm pretty sure my first show was at this place called luigi's in sacramento california and i was like on the cover of the newspaper or in the first page it was like a big photo of me eating a piece of pizza and it was like my first show and i was like how did this happen like i guess it was a good good omen right
0: (laughs) yeah i think we i think I played a show that i I'm pretty sure Touche. I'm sure you did. I'm pretty Positive. sure Touche, La Dispute, and Loma Prieta played a show there. Oh my God, Brian, like,
1: Brian kanagaki
0: Yeah, probably like 2010 or 11 or something like that. Wow, um was that like the locals? Like, was that? Did you used to go to shows there a lot when you were growing up? Yeah, or that like, was one of the local spots.
1: It, it, so there was a pizza yeah. place connected to it. The really good pizza. Um, yeah, yeah, that was like the spot in Sacramento, downtown Sacramento. Did you ever? I have to ask. Did you ever play the Underground in Roseville, California? That was like the Christian church spot that everybody played at.
0: Oh, maybe, if not with Touche, maybe any, maybe any of my bands before that. That yeah. sounds, that sounds familiar.
1: What other bands were you in?
0: I played guitar in this band called Thriller. Okay, uh, that was like a sort of like. Every time I die, e sort of band. It's funny. I had George, uh, Def Evan on, and uh, and we real. Uh, he told me that like my old band played with his old band, oh like god. when we were all you know in like 2006, and it blew my mind. I was like, oh my god, that's so crazy. Um, but yeah, it was you know very much like as he and I talk about, like very like that era of like suburban metalcore, <laughs> where it was just it was a everywhere. whole thing, it was a it was whole everywhere. vibe. Yes, it was very MySpace, very. All, all of that, yeah, um, but uh, what was the, what was the first show you ever played?
1: That was, was, that, it was that? That, that was, that was the first show I ever played, yeah, yeah, which was and funny. How,
0: do you remember much about it?
1: Oh my god, yes, it was like, I was, I as I said before, I was super shy, But I knew that on the other side of my fears was my destiny, in a sense. I know that sounds corny, but I knew that I was meant to do music. And I was like, I just had set my mind. I was like, okay, so you're going to start playing shows, and you're going to embarrass the shit out of yourself for a little while because you're afraid, but eventually this fear will hopefully leave. Because I realized at one point you couldn't really... You had to walk through the fear. You couldn't just be like, oh you know it, you had to just do shit in order to like for the fear to like be expelled from your body so i would definitely puke and like shake and you know i had these very visceral reactions to my fears so my first show i said i was sitting down on a chair and it's amazing what fear will do to your body um i was trying to play my guitar and my leg was jumping out of the fucking chair and like practically making the guitar hit me in the face oh my I, god my leg was just like involuntarily yeah. shaking because I was so afraid because it was a room full of people. It was packed and um, I couldn't hold my guitar steady. And on top of that, my vo- I sounded like a goat because I was so afraid. So it was like, Ugh. I think I could probably find the recording somewhere. My, my voice yeah. was shaking, but I did it and I'm proud of myself that I, that I did that. And so, I continued to play shows and continued to puke and continued to be like, okay, I got to keep going because I will regret this for the rest of my life if I don't pursue music. I just knew that I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I didn't pursue music. So the fear slowly just, it started getting easier and easier um, to perform live. So to anybody out there that really wants to do anything, music or whatever else, like, and you're afraid, just know that um, if you have a strong desire to do something, there's probably a strong chance it's a part of your destiny and you should definitely just do it afraid because that's the only way to do it. It took me about mm-hmm. like over a year of shows to really get free from that fear. And I was I eventually I calmed down and I was like, I can do this. And then eventually it was like not a thing for me at all. I could just get out in front of tons of people and be like, let's go. And then I became a performer after that, where I was like, not only not afraid, but I found this like fierceness and this ability to be a performer and, and actually enjoy it
0: i'm kind of curious what sort of shows were you playing were you doing like open mic type stuff or were you like hopping like what kind of shows were you hopping on like what i don't think what, i was what, ever what was, into
1: open mics i'm open yeah. mic was always kind of a weird thing to me mixed bag of like just weirdos that were you don't a know a what you're gonna that, get yeah <laughs> that should not have been given a microphone um no it was yeah. like folk shows like it would usually be like a band a few cool bands and then i would get asked to like just do a solo thing because I had a good voice and people liked my stuff like when I started doing it like people would definitely like come out to my shows and I didn't really know what the fuck was I was doing but I I got asked to play some pretty cool shows um but after a while I started realizing like okay playing solo is just weird I don't want to (laughs) do I don't want to do this you know
0: what was your what was like the first time you recorded like what uh what was that like for you
1: well, when I had that that um, Ibanez guitar, I oh um, sure I got a hold a GarageBand and I recorded no. this song called Mount Zion, and it was like a, I think it was like a little over a minute long, and it was just like a few notes on a guitar, and I just started singing immediately, and the song just came out of me pretty much immediately. It was pretty, it was a pretty great song for the first time writing a song.
0: Um, I, was, I guess I guess uh, when I guess what I'm trying to I, I guess more so what I mean is like the first time maybe you went to like a recording studio and it was like a different experience. You know what I'm saying? Like the whole, all of a sudden you're walking in and there's like pressure is on because like, Oh yeah. That's sort of a thing.
1: I feel like a a few, like my first few times in a studio felt like the first time, like, um, I recorded a two song cassette with this label that's not, doesn't exist anymore called sleep genius from the Bay area. Mm -hmm. And, um, we just recorded in the dude's, uh, like, basement or something, but he had, like, a recording set up, and I had a few of my friends there, and it was just, like, me... The, the recordings are pretty sp- sparse. There's, like, there are no more cassettes, but I think you can find it on Bandcamp. I maybe got it taken down. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. They're just, like, these very ethereal two tracks that is just me and a guitar, really washed out sounding. Um, that wasn't too scary because I was just with my close friends, but... Um, I remember after that I recorded with Wurr for that around EP and um, that wasn't I don't even think that was scary because it wasn't even the style of music that I typically like to do. I was just kind of doing these really like simple um, like beautiful vocals that are I don't know not really typically the kind of vocals I like to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first time I was a f- like kind of nervous in a studio was I recorded with my dear friend Pat Hills, who lives in Sacramento and he has a studio called Earth Tone Studio um and uh i recorded my first miserable ep called halloween dream and this was after i was done working with um i think this was after i was done working with were and Mm -hmm. i didn't really know what the fuck how to put a band together or what i was doing but i really wanted to start like pursuing my own thing but i didn't really know how to like put it together so i just hit up pat and i was like hey i have these songs and here's like some rough ideas This is what I wanted to sound like. I think I just like hummed out some of the ideas for drums and bass and guitar. And he just brought a few, I think I brought like my friend Steven who was a drummer and like a few other people in the studio and we just like hashed it out. But I was very nervous because I'd never had to like kind of direct a band and arrange things in that sense before. So, I was very overwhelmed, but I did it afraid. And I'm and I actually I feel like for a first DP, it sounds pretty fucking great. And um, so that to me feels like the first time I really like took charge in a studio to like work on something.
0: Sure. Do you still? Do you like still get? that sort of motivation where, like, you you maybe have song ideas and do you like the collaborative process? Or now that it's been so long, do you sort of have your vision and it's, like, that's what you're going for? Or does it matter, or is it different for band to band?
1: No, I like I really like to be in control of everything. Yeah. Um, I have a pretty strong vision for everything. So I, I mean, I have, like, ten projects at this point, and I, I really just like to be in charge and do things my way. Yeah. Uh, the only thing that was, uh, like, the last King Woman record was pretty collaborative, and also the uh, record I did with Darcy Bayless, Sugar High, we definitely collaborated on that, and we wrote that in, like, a week in my practice space when we had just met, so that was just a very serendipitous um, relationship and and album, and Darcy's also just an incredible producer. It was really easy to work with him, Uh, but, yeah, I, I generally like to be the creative director of everything that I do I, I don't think I could work on a project if I wasn't creative directing it and like hmm. directing it in general sure
0: do you think that that not to not to be some sort of like armchair psychoanalyzing <laughs> no, but do you go think that that kind of control is like really a motivator like a motivator considering like the lack of control you had growing up you know where you're like okay now I get to be complete control of like my vision what I want to do what I want to make do you think that has anything to do with it maybe
1: hmm no it's more so that i just think most people have really bad taste and uh (laughs) don't know what the fuck they're doing and a lot of people have no fucking vision so it's like i have plenty of it so i would rather take control of the situation than it turn out mediocre um but also i just think it's one of my gifts like to be a visionary is one of my that's my part of my calling in life and it's become more clear as the years have passed um, I think the only person that I would actually, that I, like, really, someone who I really am, like, you're on my level, and, like, I really respect you is this um, this girl named Hayden, and her project's called Ethel Kane, and we're gonna be working on some stuff together. I just think she's, like, such a visionary, and I was just at her show last week in LA, and um, I'm excited to, like, collaborate with her on shit, because I feel like we're very similar, and we get each other, and we get we're both just like we have a very specific vision and so we've talked about music a lot and she's to me a breath of fresh air musically um but other than that i just uh, i have just very strong ideas and i and that's why i have all these projects because i want to see them come to life and become different characters you know what i mean yeah um but i guess maybe subconsciously there is you know a desire for control because as a child I don't, I would say most children have no control. You're kind of just a little puppet that does what your parents say. And Mm -hmm. I, I was talking with a friend about this the other day, how a lot of people unconsciously have, they just have children just, and they're like, let's have a kid. And they don't consider the fact that that kid is going to have its own wants and needs and desires. And it's, it's not just, it's not you. It's a whole other person that is going to have a whole other set of needs and is, has a whole different personality. And a lot of parents are, have this kind of narcissistic way of raising children where they mold the child to their wants and needs. And, The child has to conform to them in a sense that is kind of, that can kind of warp the child. Um, So yeah, you're at, you're kind of at the mercy of your parents um, when you're growing up. So I I feel like, you know, gaining a healthy sense of creative control can be a very healing thing for anybody, you know?
0: Definitely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, So this one, the last, the last uh, like first experience question, actually, uh, we can talk about some of the, some of the records you put out is uh, what was your first tour? What was that like?
1: my first tour was <laughs> I think it was with um were in title fight. I was in a very um just sad, depressing relationship um, with someone who had substance abuse problems, and I had through my tears had written a craigslist ad in the middle of the night like please will someone play music with me because i was working a dead-end job and i i i had wasn't really doing music i was kind of like you know i would write stuff at home but i wasn't really doing music and I was living in San Francisco, so fucking sad, and I just was like, these are the bands I like. Does anybody want to start a band? And then Nick Bassett from War hit me up and was like, hey, I think I've actually somehow we figured out that we had played a show together mm-hmm. with my old band and um, or my old project, and then he was like, our singer's having a baby. Do you want to audition? Here are the songs. I, I was like, absolutely. Like, please let me do it. Like, yeah, I'll nail it. I learned all the songs within a week. He's like, we're touring with this band title fight. Like, do you want to come? And I was like, yes, please take me. And then my partner at the time uh, grew up with Title Fight. So he was like, oh, yeah, you absolutely, absolutely should do it. Like, they're, they're amazing. Yeah. And so I just auditioned, and I hit it off with them, and I toured with them in Title Fight. And it was so fucking fun. It was, like, such a great first tour. It I'm was
0: incredible. Who else was on that tour? Was that with was single mothers on that tour? Who was on that tour?
1: I think they maybe played a few shows. I don't know if they were on the full tour. I remember
0: because that was like, 2012. 12. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. we we had done the 2011 tour with them, and I remember just when all you know all that stuff was kind of going on at the time. Um, how was it for you? Like, did you enjoy it touring? So cool.
1: It was so fun. I yeah. was I was elated. I was like, I never want to go back to a regular job or regular life again. I yeah. felt Free. I was like. Meeting new people and getting to sing in front of crowds every night—I was like, "This is."
0: And, and that was my your first future. time really seeing new cities and all that sort of stuff, right? Had yeah, you le- I was had you so left, sick. Had you left California much at that point? I—I
1: I was always the kind of person who liked to travel a lot, but I hadn't seen the U.S. to that extent. Yeah. So I was like, "This is my destiny. I need to do music and like travel and play shows." Like it kind of clicked for me after that. It was very, it was very fun, and also, Tidal fight is just like. I mean, we. I've done a few tours with them, and they're just incredible. They're yeah. incredible live every single night they put on a show. They don't. They never miss. Like every time, I would get excited every night to to see them live. I would yeah. be side stage singing along. Like every single night, I, it was not. You know, sometimes you tour with bands and you're like, oh, they're playing. I'm just gonna go like smoke a cigarette. Every time they played, we're like, title fights about to go on. Like, let's go to the front. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. Because they they're just that incredible they're totally were so incredible
0: yeah, and then you just watch from this side and you're and you're just nervous that any second someone is gonna knock the microphone into Ned or Jamie's mouth exactly <laughs> just like watching like oh my God the crowds were crazy any second they're gonna get their two front teeth knocked out um so yeah I, when you look at like because before this interview I was like going through your discography and like looking at stuff and it's it's pretty astounding how once you sort of got off the ground running it was it seems pretty non-stop and it seems like you're constantly working and you're constantly recording because like in 2013 you did yeah you did the word ep but then you had the first king woman release which is a cassette and then you also had a split seven inch uh which came out on run for cover uh like a miserable grazine split mm-hmm. um how were you like consciously dividing your time there and like what what was the immediate motivation was it just like I need to express myself and here's a bunch of new people to do it with, or like, where was your head at?
1: It's been a weird journey. It's been a weird journey with the projects. I, it just kind of started happening. I think I was kind of dep- deprived of expression and it was something that made me, it curbed my depression to create constant music, but then some of the stuff I was doing didn't really fit in the vein of miserable or King woman. So I was like, fuck it. I'm going to start some more projects. Yeah. And then I went to see a psychic, and when I was, like, kind of forming, I had about six projects at this point. And a lot, of my, a lot of my stuff isn't online yet. I've been working on so many records that you probably won't see until, like, 2024. But um, now I have ten projects. So I went to a psychic, and she just sat down, and she immediately wrote projects down and circled it so a bunch of times. She's like, oh, my God, what is this about? So many projects. And I was like, she's like, oh, and there are more. There are more coming. And I was like, no, 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 I don't want any more. And she's <laughs> like, oh, Yeah there are more coming. And I was like, Oh God. And then I kind of, after that experience, she was just like, this is like your spiritual path. This is a part of your, your journey. Um, And after that, I was, I kind of realized what was going on. I was like, this is, this is me. This is something I'm meant to do. Um, And it it just felt very peaceful. I had this very peaceful feeling in my heart. Like, you know, because people, especially in the music industry, and people I've worked with in the past, are like, well, you're gonna ruin your chances of this and that if you have so many projects. And I'm like, fuck you! I don't care. This is I do what I want, and I'm not here to like listen to anybody's rules. I want to do music the way that I want to do music. If I want to have ten projects, then I'm gonna have ten projects, and they're all gonna do well. And like, I've been, I feel like I've done a good job so far, and um, you know, everything that I want to happen with my projects has happened. And I think when you listen to other people. And you let them tell you you can't do things, then yeah, you're not going to be able to do those things. But if you just don't listen to them and you're like, no, I'm going to do this and make it work, then it works. And so I've definitely had a lot of people try to get in my way of the way that I do music and tell me that it's wrong and tell me that it doesn't make sense and tell me that the music industry won't accept it. And I just don't care because I feel like it's a part of my journey and it's a part of my healing process and it's part of my I have like all these like characters or archetypes are a part of me. And it, it definitely heals me and helps me um, in some way. And I, I think one of the big things that just curbs my depression to have these things to focus on has been, like, taking antidepressants for me. Just, like, having things to work on and having things to look forward to and having projects to focus on has been so good for my mental health. Um, and I say it's, and it might sound corny, but it's really saved me in a lot of ways. And there aren't, there aren't many other things that I'm, like, interested in or feel... it like would do that for me besides music, so it works for me personally. You know, De-
0: the furthest from corny. I mean, the fact yeah. that it's. I mean, if music. Can you know be when that... people
1: say music saved my life or my music is everything. <laughs> you know, like I don't want to sound like that, but I I mean it.
0: It I, really is. I believe for you. Me. I, I, yeah, yeah, I mean, music should absolutely be therapeutic. You know, and and it's nice to hear that. And it's nice to hear that as a reminder because, for a lot of us, music is something we do and often it starts to feel like it's just it's the job and then with that job comes a lot of things that actually hurt our mental health because you're sort of put into this almost competitive nature of mm-hmm. of it where like you know you're worried about streams you're worried about album sales you're worried about ticket sales and all that sort of stuff but like it seems like you've almost developed a system where you're free of a lot of that because you're just like, well, whatever, I'm doing this other project now. Or like, yeah, or you I know, just now don't. I'm inspired to do this thing. Or like, it doesn't matter because it doesn't, I'm already on to the next thing.
1: Yeah, I'm already... It, but it's like, I don't I don't feel that... Um, like, there is... there. There's only so much you can do. Some of that shit is left up to fate or like your marketing team or whoever is in charge of your shit, whatever label you're on. I don't see how that would serve me to like focus in on how many streams I'm getting like my main focus is my expression and being the artist that I know that I am and doing you know doing the best that I can with the things that I I can control and being an authentic human and artist that's that's what speaks to people and that's why they want to stream your music you know what I mean I'm not some corny ass person that's like how many streams can I get you know it's like that whole system is already fucked artists over in general so um I don't know it seems the the record is doing very well from yeah. what I'm told. So it's like, I, I mean, I did what I could with the record. I'm like, okay, I'm going to take control of the creative direction. I'm going to write these songs the way that I, the way that I would like to hear songs. You know what I mean? And you know, I did what I what I could, but, you know, I don't know. The way that music is these days and the, mu- the way the music industry is, it's definitely very strange for a person that just wants to make music. It's like you have to be everything. You have to work. You have to be a social media manager. You have to mm-hmm. be a creative director. You have to know how to do X, Y, and Z. Like most artists are not just artists anymore. They're they're like wearing several different hats just to survive as artists and to, quote unquote, make it in the music industry. Um, unless they have a lot of money and they have a team behind them and they have a label behind them that can, you know, handle some of that stuff.
0: Yeah. So Yeah. I don't I'm know inspi- what to ins- No, I mean all all of those things. I'm yeah. inspired by what you just said. I mean, I like I like the idea of just you know, uh, yeah, we weren't we weren't put here to to learn how to market ourselves. We were put here to make music. You know exactly. what I'm saying? And and when, when I think what often gets lost is when success is is literally measured by a by numbers where you're like but you don't know how much that one maybe one of these numbers was affected by your music that's what actually matters you totally. know so, totally
1: and, and it's and yeah. it's like okay well how much is spotify paying artists like
0: <laughs> it's a joke
1: it's a fucking joke and so yeah. the whole system is fucked and as my therapist says the music industry was started by the mob she's like what else would you expect so um i don't know i feel like I try to do what I can to create a world that I would want to see and an industry that I would want to see. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to do things my way and um, as much as I can. And I don't listen to anybody when they tell me what to do. I just don't. Cause most of these people don't know what the fuck they're talking about or what they're doing. And a lot of them are old and outdated. And that's been my experience the past year personally. Yeah. Um, and I'm really glad that I didn't listen to any of these people, people telling me I don't sell records when I do people telling me, you know, basically, you're a small band. You you need to do this and this and this. And I'm like, no, that's not how a band grows. Is by you telling them they're small. And right. I mean, there's been so much fuckery I've had to deal with the past year and a half. You wouldn't believe. Um, just trying to put out this record. Um, and I'm gonna write a book about it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just add that to your list of things that you do. Now you're gonna be an author.
1: Definitely writing a book.
0: It's happening. Uh, I love that. Yeah, I love that. So, I was curious. With uh, did you? Well, one, the newest record, how long had it actually been done? Had it been done a long time?
1: Yeah, it's been done since the end of um, 2019. Um, okay, but that's I didn't what I was wanna, curious of. Yeah, I didn't want to rush putting it out. So sure. I was like, you know, this record's going to come out when it wants to come out. And so we finally settled on a date, which was July of this year. And I talked to my manager about it because her, her mom passed away fairly recently. So we got on a pretty intense call. And I was like, look, we can put this record out in 2022 if you're not doing okay. And she was like, honestly... I need this right now. Let's focus on this campaign. So I flew out to Mexico City, which is where she lives. And we worked nine to five on the campaign every day together, just like how we wanted things to go for the record. And it was really intense, but I feel like it was the right move. And I'm, I'm glad that we put it out when we did. Yeah. Uh, I feel like it, it came out when it wanted to. It, that record had a mind of its own. So.
0: Especially because it looks like you really took advantage of the downtime we all were forced to have in 2020 where you had like several things came out. You put out, uh, a track for your project Dalmatian. You put out, yeah, the sugar high record, you put out a Nightcrawler record and you put out a miserable track. Like mm-hmm. how are this is probably a question you've been hit with before. So I apologize for how kind of redundant this might be, but how do you decide when you're starting to make a song, like what project it's going to be for?
1: I just know. You just know <laughs> no yeah it's yeah like, oh. it's very like it's not like where does this belong it's just like oh it's like i have these different like highways going on inside of me and it's like oh this is this it's just like you can feel the energy of what what it basically needs to be
0: yeah and were each of those tracks recorded in in like their in their you know destination areas Where like you miserable was that recorded when you were in la or like
1: mm-hmm. no, did you I mean, we how were. did you figure that out um, I did the Damn to Love You track for Miserable with my dear friend Emmett Kai. He's an amazing artist and producer. Look him up. He's incredible. He's one of my favorite people to work on music with because he's so... It's hard for me to work on with dudes sometimes in the studio, but he doesn't have an ego, and we just mm-hmm. collaborate. It's very like effortless, and he's one of my closest friends. So we did that track together in New York, um, in Greenpoint, at a studio. And then I produced the... Um, Dalmatian track Friday the 13th that's just like a demo I'm gonna I'm gonna rework it and re-release it but uh I did some of it in New York and then I did some of it in um LA but it's a it's actually an older song that I um I just didn't put out and then I felt like I wanted to revisit it because I really like it and I was like I'm just gonna put the demo up and do a weird little campy video for it on on um Halloween so yeah I kind of did that one on my own between New York and LA and then Nightcrawler Record was kind of all over the place some of it was I think most of it was actually done in LA, but that I'd been working on that for one for a while. I was going to say like, like
0: have a lot, where a lot of those also kind of more or less done for a while, and then you just kind of spaced them out. Like how how far apart did each of those releases come out? Where did you try to give them a little bit of space, or were some of them kind of closer to one another?
1: I can't even remember. <laughs> <I don't
0: laughs> You're know. just like whatever. I just dropped it. It doesn't no, matter.
1: I don't know. I really don't remember. I have like I said, I have really poor memory. But um, sure. I some of we mastered the. Nightcrawler record in Copenhagen I went out there and worked with um, My friend Rose and uh, My friend Sarah, um, aka Mama Snake, she's like an incredible DJ And Rose is an incredible designer and creative director And they run a label Out in Copenhagen that put out um, The records called Amniot Editions Uh, And that was really fun Sugar High record uh, Well Darcy was like, you know, mixing it in I think he was in Berlin at the time And then we had his friend master it um, But we were kind of working remote uh, I don't even remember what I think that came out like. Last, was it last April or May or something like that? I don't remember. <laughs> I just kind of put stuff out and yeah, then it's out and it's like, okay, now when it did do that help more. you?
0: Did all of these things really help you get through twenty twenty? Like knowing you had all this sort of stuff like lined up, <coughs> not even so much lined up, but like ready to be released.
1: Mm, well, you know, the Nightcrawler record came out around the time the the pandemic went down so i was getting off of a tour i think i had played a show in puerto rico my record release show was in puerto rico and then i had a three-month tour planned and i was supposed to do my a night crawler showcase at roadburn and do a tour in europe and i was supposed to do a tour with alex g as well and all that got canceled so you know i was going to tour that record but everything got shut down i think it yeah it definitely helped me but you know working on music it was definitely st- a strange time. No one really knew what was going on when the pandemic first hit. I was kind of like, "Yeah. Can I go see my family? I have to be What I have to be indoors? We don't, we don't have any toilet paper. What's up with the sanitizer? It's all gone." Right. <laughs> like, it was so weird.
0: Like god, the, whole, the, to- the, the toilet, toilet paper. paper. The toilet paper thing is something I've completely god. erased from my brain, but god, Jesus Christ, what a time. So a bad. Time. It yeah. was such a weird, you know, it
1: was weird. So, um I, tr- I definitely had moments where i was working on music but then i had moments where i didn't really want to do anything yeah but i'm normally at home i'm a homebody i don't yeah. i'm not i'm social when i'm social but I, I generally like to be alone and being around people really stresses me out so uh, <laughs> i enjoy being by myself working on shit smoking weed making beats so <laughs> that's my vibe in general <laughs> pandemic or go. no pandemic
0: <laughs> you know, um, before before uh, before we wrap before we start get or get to the last question, um, I just have to I, I don't even know if there's really a question here uh, as much as a, a statement. But you and I obviously hung out um, just a couple months ago. We got got a an acai bowl here in LA, and uh, but I was telling you just how much I really, really, really loved um, the that first music video you put out because you hadn't uh, the psychic wound video hadn't come out yet, but the the morning star video. Um, what like going into that music video like what uh, what was the inspiration that you were you were like looking for like what did I'm kind of curious from your side like what you were trying to accomplish with um, sort of like the theme of that video like what what, what were you inspired by to make that video. You know, just, like, I the one-shot sort of circus. Like, I'm curious, like, if there was, like, if you had sort of, like, a mood board of, like, oh, I really, like, this kind of, like, I want to try to do this kind of a thing or, like, whatever it was. just kind of whatever was, was in my
1: mind. I, I usually yeah. just get inspired by these internal, I get these internal bursts of inspiration. I'm not really out here, like, wanting to copy anybody or anything like that. It's, like, it all pretty much comes from, like, my brain. And, like, I was raised Christian, so I heard a lot about Lucifer, and I was, like, this song was haunting me to the point that i had to work on the album i would hear it in my head all the time my name is lucifer pleased to meet you it was like looping in my head for a long time before and i would always be like i need to finish this fucking record was that the the
0: first song that you wrote for that record
1: um that line i i had written kind of a a part like and i was like okay i knew that like it was going to be a very big part of the album and it was haunting me for years i heard it in my head all the time i sang it all the time it it was one of the things that pushed me to finish the record and start working on the record uh but i i don't know i had this idea for a while i was like you know nope i feel like it would be really cool if lucifer lucifer could tell their side of the story for once Mm -hmm. in this very beautiful way and it came out the way that it did but i you know it was a loose idea i was like okay so i want my wings to be ripped out and I want to do a one take and I want it to be very silver and blue and um I want to wear a suit and I want to smoke a cigarette and I told Netta all my ideas and she just like wrote it all out she's like okay this is what we're gonna do so then we got there the lighting people ace you know killed it with the with the lights and it turned out the way that it did but you know it was just kind of a loose idea I wasn't expecting it to be as cinematic as it was but um i loved how it turned i mean it's so beautiful i I, I I still love the
0: video (laughs) i I think i remember asking you how many takes you did because it's all one shot 11 takes yeah
1: and i had i started my period as this is kind of creepy but there was like a circle that i stood in before we started the first um yeah like before we started rolling so i stepped in the center and we were about to start rolling and i started my period as i stepped in the center and i was like "Whoa, this is some shit and I, I did 11 one-takes on my period, and I have endometriosis, so my periods are really bad. And by the second video, I was, like, I gained, like, I feel like I gained, like, 10 pounds by the second. We did two videos in a day, so wow. later in the day, I, like, couldn't even fit in the chaps that I was wearing. I was, like, super sick on tons of medication because when, when I'm on my period, the first two days are so bad that I can't even stand up. So I performed all of that super sick. Um, Respect. Yeah, it was rough, but that was very eerie, That the blood <laughs> just right. like and that standing in the center I was like whoa this is yeah. some shit. <laughs> <laughs> it was creepy it was cool I was like this is so cool
0: oh my god yeah. well congrats I mean I'm I could I, I've probably <laughs> shown that video to so many people too being like have you watched that king woman video it's fucking awesome it's like thank you uh a few there's been a few friends that whenever you know i see that they've made a music video and i feel like they just like knocked it out of the park i just get so excited like yeah. the last video before yours that i felt like was great which i think is someone you probably are also friends with is uh there's like a spiritual cramp music video for the song erasure that i love I was those like, dudes
1: yeah mike is my like, fucking dog and barb he, his wife is just the
0: fucking goat i love them mm-hmm. Everybody they're, in that band
1: is like amazing. Just amazing. Might, people. Be,
0: might be moved to LA. I just got to yeah, get see he him. He belongs weeks ago. in LA. He's totally He's LA
1: boy. He's <laughs> perfect for LA. I think I've been telling him he should move to LA for a while, so you know he loves it there.
0: Yeah, it was so good seeing him. I just I, I love that guy to death. So Me too. yeah, it was uh that was the last music video from a friend that I saw and I was like, holy shit, this is awesome. Dude, like not
1: love spiritual cramp. They're incredible. I want that band to
0: be the biggest band in the I world. I do too. Right? <laughs> be a <be, be> me. <laughs> like, I, I've i been screaming from the rooftops. Like, and it's funny too, because, like, they're We need to get them signed to, like, a dope ass label. They need to be, I mean.
1: What about we that's the an epitaph that's or the something?
0: He, well, he and I have had all these conversations. We've been talking about it forever. And it's just like, I like, I would love to take spiritual cramp on every tour we ever do, but it's, it's funny for me. I'm like, I don't want to ruin spiritual cramps career by going out with us. I want them to (laughs) tour with like, I want them to tour with like the hives or like, you know, the people they should be touring. I I don't want to ruin their credibility going out with me. Oh, come on. (laughs) Y'all are legendary. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But but still, it's like I w- I just want so much for that band. I do so. too. I mean, I've yeah. been
1: I've been rooting for those guys for so long.
0: They're Mike Beast so cool. is just
1: such a character. I was like so stoked when he like became finally became what he was meant to become, which is a front person. Totally. I was like, you need to be the center of mm-hmm. it. You
0: are a diva. 100 percent 100 percent um all right well, i'll ask you the last question here which is uh when was the first time you felt like you were like doing the thing that you had been working so hard towards with any of your projects or anything that comes to your mind for that yeah.
1: it's hard to say i feel like a lot of artists have like imposter syndrome and we never kind of we never quite feel like we're doing it no matter what happens true um i can't really remember the moment but i guess this these last few shows i was like oh i've arrived at some type of place Like, I finally feel like, damn, all my hard work really is starting to pay off and people are starting to understand what I'm doing. I would say like the last few shows. I know that sounds weird because I've done so many shows and so much music, but it kind of clicked for me these past few shows for sure.
0: I, I believe it. And I'm sure also just, you know. The extra level of it's been two years since you've been able to perform, like all of these emotions. And then, I mean, because there is that fear. It's like you get up on, you know, you have these shows booked. It's been a long time since you played. And as you were mentioning, worried about, I hope people come. I'm scared to play these two shows. And then they turned out awesome. Yeah. All of that. Yeah, you know, they turned get out great. It. Yeah. Wonderful.
1: No, no need to worry. I hope your shows yeah. go well as well. And knock on wood, they're, they're going to happen.
0: I know Absolutely. you're probably So
1: antsy to perform You're an incredible Performer
0: So uh, It's very sweetie Yeah our record came out In October of 2020 And it's just like Killing me that we haven't We did one live stream thing And it's like It's not the same it's You gotta same. get out there Yeah It's about time Alright Chris You're the best This is this is awesome Thank you so much <laughs> Thank you And that's our show Thank you so much to Chris For coming on And thank you for listening If you have not subscribed to the show, please do that over on uh, Spotify or Apple or wherever you're enjoying this. And if it happens to be Apple, throwing a little rate and review would uh, it just helps. It's a nice thing. It's a it's a nicety that uh, doesn't take too long and I'd really appreciate it. All right. I will see you on Monday with a brand new first ever radio hour. Have a good week. Bye bye.